Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast in our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Mark Raven from Value Capture, and we're joined today by Rob McIsaac, the president of Hamilton Health Sciences. Rob, how are you? I'm very well, Mark. How are you? Doing okay. Thank you for for joining and and sharing with us today. Um, If you could start off by introducing yourself and um, a little bit about your background, it would be interesting to hear how you ended up working in healthcare in a, a leadership role. Sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Rob McIsaac, as you heard, and uh, I'm the president and CEO of Hamilton Health Sciences. We're one of Canada's um, largest research hospitals, um, although uh, maybe by U.S. standards, we're uh, uh, probably still large, but not very large. We, we would have about 13,000 employees. Uh, we're serving a catchment area. Uh, uh, of about two and a half million people with a um, series of uh, tertiary uh, and quaternary uh, care services. Um, so uh, generally we would be ranked about uh, number in the top three uh, in terms of research hospitals in Canada. Uh, if you just measure that by dollars um, income in uh, research. Uh, I've been in this job for about six and a half years, uh, came to it by uh, a pretty unconventional route. Um, I started my career off as a lawyer, um, and uh, I was working on Bay Street in Toronto, uh, which is kind of, uh, you know, Canada's Wall Street, um, and wasn't having that much fun there, uh, so decided to start my own uh, practice in my hometown of Burlington, Ontario. And uh, so I did that. Uh, and not long after I did that, I was approached to get into uh, local politics. So I ran for city council uh, and became a member of city council. Uh, six years after that, I became the mayor of Burlington. Uh, and I served for three terms before deciding to leave. Uh, I, t- I then took a job as the founding um, say executive chair of um, the Regional Transportation Authority for Greater Toronto and Hamilton, at, uh, something that was ultimately called Metrolinks and uh, is still going today. It's a, it's a very large um, going concern today, uh, responsible for running the uh, regional transit, which is a, mostly a commuter rail system, uh, but also a very significant fleet of buses and so on. Uh, I stayed there for three years, uh, got it uh, up and running and started, uh, and we developed a a regional transportation plan for the region. Um, Subsequent to that, I took a job as the uh, president of uh, one of Ontario's large colleges uh, called Mohawk College and uh, stayed at Mohawk for five years. It was a very fun job. Uh, and then I took this job um, as um, 
CEO of Hamilton Health Sciences. Mm -hmm. So a lot of different sectors there. Probably uh, the you know the, the common themes though across all those jobs are uh, public service uh, and leadership. Uh, and so that's sort of those are the things that I really like, uh, and uh, you know I've had uh, been very fortunate in my career. Well, and so along the lines of public service and leadership and doing a lot of different things, you know, many of our guests have shared reflections about meeting uh, the late Paul O'Neill, who, among other things, was the founder of Value Capture. But he spent many years working in the United States federal government and was CEO of Alcoa, and also ended up having influence in in healthcare. Um, and and I know you know you you're going to share. Some reflections and and you know how did you meet Mr. O'Neill? You know, kind of just as a way of leading into the way he influenced some of your thinking as a leader. Yeah, uh, so not long after I started Hamilton Health Sciences, my chief medical executive uh, came to me and said, "You know, I think we're ready to really uh, move on to the next generation of quality improvement at Hamilton Health Sciences." Uh, we'd certainly. Uh, been thinking and doing lots in the area of uh, quality, but um, I think uh, we felt uh, broadly that um, we were ready to get to the next step. So he suggested uh, that we uh, take the executive team down to Pittsburgh uh, and meet with uh, Value Capture, which we ultimately did. Um, and I can, you know, I can honestly say it was a transformative experience for our executive uh, group, and that's where we met uh, Paul O'Neill. And I think it's fair, to, it's fair to say, you know, he struck me, and I think he struck our whole team uh, as being a, an extraordinary individual. My, my view, uh, you know, after really probably after our first meeting that. Uh, was that Paul was a great a great American? You know, he was somebody who really embodied uh, uh, many of the things that uh, I think you know the U.S. as a nation aspires to in terms of uh, uh, leadership um, uh, and excellence, uh, um, and um, you know, leading by example and so on. So. I, mean, I was very honored to meet him, and he he was very impactful uh, on us. I think at the end of the trip, um, that first trip, uh, you know, we all felt very energized about uh, the direction in which we wanted to take our our quality improvement uh, efforts. Um, and for me, um, you know, I kind of distilled. Uh, Mr. O'Neill's message and into uh, three uh, relatively simple rules, which is good for me because I can remember those things. Uh, but the first is that, you know, no organization can be successful um, unless everybody uh, is uh, feels valued and respected. Um, the second is that everybody in the organization really has to feel uh, that they understand they're a member of the team uh, and what the team is trying to accomplish. So everybody needs to understand the vision and mission of the organization and how their role is really contributing towards it. Uh, and the last is that everybody needs to have the right tools, uh, the tools required to do their job. 
I know those things sound uh, fairly simple, but um, you know, if you unpack them, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, meaning to them. And I think that um, again, although they sound simple, uh, it is challenging to make them all true uh, in a robust way. But if you do, I think uh, Mr. O'Neill was right that those are uh, profoundly necessary enablers to uh, success as an organization. Maybe we can unpack those a little bit. Um, so, you know, maybe elaborate on the idea of, you know, what does it really mean on a daily basis for employees to be respected, to feel respected and to feel valued? And what, what can you do as a leader to help create that environment in a large complex organization? Yeah, I think at the at the heart of it is recognizing um, that um, value is created at the coal face in any organization. That uh, you know those frontline workers uh, are the people who, uh, in many respects, uh, are the only people who can really help you uh, uh, get uh, significantly down the quality road. I remember uh, a friend of mine who was. Uh, turnaround guy, private sector uh, individual who took over a company uh, manufacturing concern uh, that was essentially on the verge of bankruptcy um, and said, you know, I spent the first three months working on the line of this company. And I said, hey, what's going on? Like, why can't we actually make a product that functions? Uh, and you know, the workers said to him, well, uh, it was a welder and he said, I want you to put this mask on and, uh, take a look at the weld that I'm doing. He said, I did it and I couldn't see a thing. Um, and I realized that the lights in the factory had been allowed to get so dirty that nobody in the factory could really do a good job or the job they were being called upon to do. That's something that's very difficult to discern from the CEO's office. Uh, and unless you're the person doing the job, um, you know, it's a simple example, but it, it's a great example of how the quality of the product at the end of the day is so much a function of the person actually doing the work and the insights that they can glean from it. And so I think, you know, there's dignity in every job uh, in an organization. Uh, and that's because um, every Buddy is playing an important role at the end of the day uh, to getting to the company's vision and mission. Uh, and so unless um, you give those people uh, some say in the organization, an ability to actually have some input into how you're running the organization, um, you, you cannot get to the, you know, the upper echelons of quality that uh, we're all trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing Mr. O'Neill talked about a lot, when you talk about getting to upper echelons of quality, he would talk about, as we've explored in some other episodes, the ideas of habitual excellence, which, you know, and, then, and then really working toward the idea of what he called theoretical limits, which, you know, especially in the realm of quality and safety could translate to mean zero harm, zero bad experiences, for, for a patient, um, I'm, I'm curious if you can share some of your reflections on, you know, some of those themes that, that he talked about quite a bit. 
Yeah, I think, you know, um, when I first uh, went to working at the college that I had mentioned to you, um, we had, uh, they had student satisfaction scores uh, that were amongst the lowest uh, in the province. And um, I think that those scores had been there uh, for uh, so long that uh, people felt that that was just the way um, things were. And people would often say to me, you know, it's a large, it's a large college and, you know, none of the large colleges really do very well when it comes to student satisfaction. There's just no way that you can get a lot better. And, you know, I, I um, set out a goal for the organization that we should be, you know, the best organization, the best college in Ontario for student satisfaction. Um, and I think um, nobody really believed that was possible. Uh, but we kept driving towards it. And when people started to see us making significant improvements in terms of how our students regarded us, it really uh, empowered the whole of the organization uh, to keep, you know, to accelerate, to put their foot down even more on the accelerator. I think by after the five years that I was there, we were in the top three uh, uh, for student satisfaction in you know, the greater Toronto area, which is comprises most of the colleges in the province. You people were right. It was very difficult for a large college to compete with a small college in terms of student satisfaction, but we made very significant gains. And it really started with the notion that you, we needed to have a big vision, uh, an aggressive, uh, audacious vision for where we wanted to get to. And um, you had to be uh, persistent about wanting to achieve it. Uh, and when people started to see progress uh, and started to see real results, um, it had an impact across everything that we did. Uh, and I think it, you know, it, it, uh, it changed everything. So you know, I think for Mr. O'Neill, uh, he certainly focused in on um, employee safety uh, and the notion that, you know, you could not stop until you got to zero, that zero was possible. And, well, I think that um, particular goal served a number of important purposes, including, again, acknowledging the importance and the dignity of everybody who worked uh, at Alcoa. It also had a kind of effect broadly across the rest of the organization that they're you know, why would you try to do anything less than be the best you could possibly be at it? Uh, so that idea that um, everything you do, you should do with excellence, I think is, is a really important part of quality improvement. It's a really important part of leadership. Yeah. And, you know, as Mr. O'Neill shared in, in his speeches, and I think even, you know, if listeners go back to episode one, where we shared one of those speeches, Mr. O'Neill would tell healthcare audiences about how when he had the, when he was new to the CEO role at Alcoa, and he would talk about theoretical limits and zero harm, he got pushback. People saying, well, that's not possible. And this is just the way things are. There's that sense of resignation if you will, or just acceptance. And I think it's interesting when an outsider can sort of try to spark the idea of, well, wait a minute, why do we have to take that 
for granted. Um, you know, and 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 Mr. O'Neill would would talk about the the role of the CEO of leaders as um, helping remove excuses from the organization, which might sound a bit harsh, but I think it's it's constructive. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm curious, you know, here's some of your reflections, uh, and again, thinking of your role in different organizations. How do we help people see what's possible? How do we, whether you call it eliminating barriers or removing excuses, you know, how how can we go about that? Yeah, I well for sure. Um, I mean, at the start, it it, it does. Um, I think it starts with the CEO's insistence on um, a dedication to excellence. But um, you know, I think the other thing about you know my uh, second rule that everybody understands um, uh, the role that they have in terms of helping the organization accomplish its mission, mission and vision. You know, it implies a number of things about the, the job of the CEO, the first of which I think is to get to a really compelling vision for the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, that, that's not something that uh, uh, it's, it's a role that's, that's really peculiar uh, to the CEO's job. And it's something that I think can distinguish a good CEO from, um, you know, an average CEO. Uh, but then having achieved that uh, vision, which is, which is, has to be much more than just about making a profit or, or uh, balancing your books. It has to be something that people uh, feel motivated by. Uh, and then, you know, um, communicating it out in a way that people can understand it um, uh, and are motivated by it, I think are, they're both really important parts of that second rule. Um, and I, I, I know in every job that I've had, uh, I've gone in and um, there are certain people who I've understood from the first day because of the way they were able to uh, communicate to me about the nature of the business. There were other people who um, um, I might not have ever fully understood during the whole of my time during uh, any particular stint with an organization. I, I guess what I'm driving at is you know, this notion of clarity and simplicity in the way that a CEO communicates is, is really important. And it's it's easy as anything to get kind of caught up in the jargon uh, of the business. Uh, but I think especially for people coming in from the outside, um, you know, you're not caught up in that jargon and nor should you ever allow yourself to be. And you have to be able to, to on an ongoing basis, communicate to everybody in the organization in a way that they understand uh, and in a way that they find compelling. Uh, and it should be grounded in that notion of excellence. So maybe, um, you know, final question, when you talk about, you know, coming into an in- industry again, do you have any other lessons or reflections or aha moments, you know, coming into healthcare and, and seeing, you know, what translated from, a leadership perspective and, and, and what's different or unique about the challenge in creating habitual excellence in healthcare? Yeah, I think for, um, I mean, others may, uh, may disagree with me. I, I guess one of my, the big, one of my big realizations about healthcare, and it's certainly been confirmed over the last three months, um, is that it is a sector that is sort of, uh, very much driven by crisis, uh, very much focused on the here and now. And I get, 
I totally understand why those are really important skill sets uh, for healthcare. Um, and, you know, we've been dealing with this COVID crisis um, for the last three and a half, almost four months now. Uh, and it's been extraordinary to watch my team and how uh, well they've been able to uh, respond to demands that were next to impossible. But I think that, you know, the other side of that coin uh, is that uh, healthcare is not naturally strategic. Um, it, it, uh, it's a sector that you really have to uh, poke and prod uh, to get to uh, strategy. Uh, and to get uh, to um, get uh, focused and to remain focused on strategy. So I think, you know, for me coming in as an outsider, that message from me to my organization has been really re uh, relentless about understanding, uh, you know, where we're trying to be uh, three years from now, five years from now, uh, what the key enablers are to achieve that. and then relentlessly driving uh, those things uh, on a day-to-day on -day basis, making sure that um, almost every communication I make with the organization uh, is related to our strategy and why we're doing it. Well, um, really appreciate you sharing, you know, your, some of your thoughts and reflections here across not just healthcare, but um, other settings, Rob. Um, our, our guest today, again, has been Rob McIsaac. He's the president of Hamilton Health Sciences. Um, is, is there any final thought or tip that you might want to leave the, uh, the listeners and viewers with? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if I just, again, reflect back on um, um, that first uh, session that I had at Value Capture, meeting Mr. O'Neill, I think what I found most liberating, and I don't know the extent to which, I suspect this is a common experience across most healthcare systems. It, it's such a relentlessly grinding uh, sector uh, from the point of view of, you know, always constantly being asked to do uh, more with less. And um, I, you know, it, um, it can definitely um, challenge your resilience. But I, I think what I found most liberating from uh, meeting with uh, Mr. O'Neill and the value capture team was the idea that, um, you know, the, the uh, way forward for healthcare was not continually asking people to work harder, mm. to do more work, uh, that it, it was really fundamentally grounded in this notion that if we can drive waste out of healthcare, there's more than enough resource to do what needs to be done. Uh, but it's really about finding the waste and driving it out. And, uh, you know, if there's, uh, I think for most of us, if if you ever have uh, any doubt about how much waste there is in the system, you just need to uh, follow a nurse around for a shift and, and see how many things we ask those nurses to do, which really have very little to do with adding value to um, our patients at the bedside. So. Uh, there, there is lots more to get to, and it's it's kind of a um, it's kind of a liberating thought uh, from my perspective. Well, well said, and thank you for um, that 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 key point and that reminder um, for everybody. Um, so, so Rob, again, thank you so much for taking time and and being our guest here today. Really appreciate it.
My pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Best wishes to everybody, to yourself and everybody there in Hamilton, the important work you do. Thank you. Same. Thanks for listening to Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app. To learn more about Value Capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.